0: Uh... <laughs> Hello and welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever made, one issue at a time. Um, My name's John and I'm a writer of comics. I make a series called After I Think, which you may have heard of, and I'm
1: one-fourth of Big Punch Studios. And I'm PJ. Uh, I am also a writer of comics, audio plays, whatever people will ask me to write. Uh, probably most notably, Steve Jackson's The Troll Tooth Walls, the graphic novel adaptation. And lover of toast? Look, just because I was late to this recording session because I was eating my breakfast... No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I think what's, what's really important, PJ, is that you weren't late because you brought your breakfast with you. Yes. Yes, I did. And I had toast for breakfast today.
0: In the uh, in the grand anime opening cinematic of our lives, you were the schoolgirl running down <laughs> the street with a big piece of bread <laughs> in your face, kind
1: of just flapping around.
0: Got to get to the podcast. Got to get to that podcast.
1: You know, it, it always amazes me what about my life you're going to bring up in in our. Uh... <laughs> 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 the thing is, PJ, You are you are a renaissance. You, you've, <laughs> you've 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 lived such a colourful
0: life. We need to we need to continually. Uh, draw attention to it. That is true. Um, and I, get, I guess in a weird way, like, this is kind of like a milestone episode um, because I guess we're kind of on, like, the difficult second album now. Like, we've done our first arc and now we're in... Anything's possible now.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I think this this episode is very much a... Uh... An example of that "anything's possible" ethos that the podcast is is going to end up developing, because as we say, this this is a podcast about Grant Morrison's run on JLA. Grant Morrison did not write the comic we're looking at today. <laughs> no, no. Um, we are we are clearly the Maverick
0: Renegades of recap podcasts because we're taking we we we've just set sail. You know, we, we've passed our first milestone, and then suddenly we're going to take a massive diversion. Uh, kind of for a good few issues, yep. I would say, before we arrive back at volume two. Um, would you like to shed some light on why
1: that is, PJ? Well, the way I look at it, Grant Morrison's run on JLA tells a long-form, very specific story. You know, there's a lot of smaller stories within that. We've, we've covered one of them to completion already. But I would say the, the Morrison run on JLA is sort of the fulcrum that a wheel of other stories revolve around. Um, so what yes. we're covering today is Justice League issue one of Justice League: A Midsummer's Nightmare. Now, A Midsummer's Nightmare was a three-issue series uh, that I believe was released in 1996, uh, September 96. There you the go. first issue came out. Uh, it was written by Mark Wade and Fabian Nicieza, uh, and penciled by Jeff Johnson and Derek Robertson. And basically, it tells the origin of the version of the league that Grant Morrison would then be writing about in JLA. And now, I have to, I have to hold up my hands and confess that I,
0: up until preparing for this uh, episode, I had never read A Midsomer's Nightmare. And I guess technically, I still haven't because I'm, I've only read the first issue. I'm very much going into this blind because it was always one of those weird little chapters of JLA history that I was just completely unaware of, and I, I think also because when when I used to collect these books as kind of graphic novels in in the UK, the collected editions, it mix a mixmaster's nightmare was never included. I think in those official kind of lists, I think it may have been like occasionally like just a little line of text mentioning it. But uh, yeah, that's all I kind of knew of it.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. I um I only managed to I I picked up a trade when I was on a holiday in Chicago in 1999. Um, I just saw it in a in a comic shop and was like, oh, a Justice League book. I haven't got. I will get that. Um, without realising what it was. And do you mean to be honest? Most people might wonder why we're covering it, if it's just the origin of the team, but it actually also has, it really does tie into Morrison's whole arc. There are story beats moments, uh, whole plot details that are key to everything Morrison would do. Now, I don't know the timeline of it, if Morrison had already sort of pitched his JLA and then they came up with this mini series idea to lead into it afterwards, or if this mm. was done and then Morrison just built off it with his run, I don't know the timeline of that. I will say one interesting thing: uh, there is an introduction in my trade because I know you're just reading the issues on Comicsology, aren't you? I am. Yes. Yeah. So there's an introduction in my trade collection, uh, written by Grant Morrison,
0: mm. in
1: which he basically talks about things we've already talked about. Um, in that comics at that time were doing the grim and gritty. Stuff and while that had led to some classics, and he he name checks Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, um, he said basically it was getting stupid. Um, I think vague allusions to let's uh, let's just say image. Um,
0: yeah, I mean it would it, it would be hard not to. I mean regardless of your thoughts on them at the time, it it was a pretty big deal yeah. in the 90s. I mean, we talk about, and we, we've we jokingly, you know, we've referred to the excesses of the 90s in comics, both good and bad. There is a lot I utterly adore about 90s comics. Um, there was a lot which was also uh, indulgent um, and maybe a bit of style over substance. And it, cha- it did change... The industry, I mean, for better and for worse, because you know, just because of
1: what image we're doing. Now, one of the interesting things in this introduction, uh, Morrison says that the book that really starts um, getting us out of of the dark ages of comics is Kingdom Come. Ah, yes, interesting. Um, and he he really bigs up Kingdom Come in this introduction, and I think there's no coincidence that Kingdom Come and Midsummer's Nightmare share a writer in Mark Wade. Um, I'm going to read a paragraph here, um, the just from Morrison's introduction, that sort of sets up where we're going. So he says, and I think Morrison clearly has a big love for what Mark Wade's done. So he says, almost single-handedly, Uberscribe Mark Wade in books like Flash, Impulse, and Captain America, has rescued the superheroes, finally, from the ghetto of Grim and Gritty. His recent best-selling collaboration with Alex Ross in Kingdom Come firmly establishes the new Zeitgeist with Epic Panache. Now, in Justice League, a Midsummer's Nightmare, he and Fabian Nicieza, undoubtedly one of the best and most thoughtful writers to have emerged from Marvel in recent years, recreate the Justice League as a pantheon of iconic figures for the twenty-first century, the world's greatest superheroes. Wow.
0: You see, it's so it's really interesting that you mention Kingdom Come, because I my introduction maybe and maybe at some point we should visit Kingdom Come as a weird kind of like uh, addendum to the series but i my introduction to kingdom come was i was on a family holiday and i picked up an issue of wizard magazine oh, okay and it was and um for any anyone of a, a younger age listening uh wizard was a it was a magazine about comics and not like about comics i mean like really like into comics like in the same way that you could get magazines about cars or about um fishing like it was very much like in the industry and you'd have not just like a little mention in the back of like a newspaper going like and oh yes comics exist it was probably like we're taking an in-depth look at Green Lantern's ring over the years <laughs> and the different designs and and, and yeah so you had he had like fun little stuff like that but there was this was a specifically this was an Alex Ross special
1: of Wizard. It was entirely just about the work of Alex Ross. I've got that. Yes, yeah, all With my that, life. It's got yeah. the Earth X Captain America and the Kingdom Come Superman on the cover. Yes, yep, yeah, I've got that one. And I had I I just read that
0: back to front, front to back, over and over and over again on that holiday, and I was like, I have never heard of Alex Ross. I I, I had no idea that comics could be in the simplest way of putting it, painted. I know that sounds really stupid, yep. but the idea that someone out there was doing these incredible uh, watercolours or oil... Or, uh, again, not, not an artist here, but these almost photo-realistic, incredibly detailed
1: paintings of, of a comic. Like, to, to illustrate
0: a story that way was mind-blowing to
1: me. Yeah, I first read Kingdom... When I was... F- sort of first getting big into comics. I'd sort of read them sporadically throughout my childhood, but when I was really getting into them, which must have been when I was 13 or 14, um, a friend of mine had been reading them properly for years because his dad read comics. And I said to him, knowing he was an aficionado already, if you were to recommend three books to me, three comics I should read, what would they be? And he name-checked Watchmen and Dark Knight and Kingdom Come. Mm. And I bought all three. And I have to say, at the time and i i think it it probably of the 3 if you're not that experienced in comics it kingdom come is probably the most accessible yes and, pr- and probably yes. for that reason it's the one that i would say was at the time and has remained my favorite of those three books
0: it it, it is weird i guess i'm going to lose some i guess i'm going to lose some cred here but i've never actually read the dark knight returns oh really yeah, I've only ever kind of flicked through it. Uh, I've, I've picked it up several times. I, I've kind of grazed it. But, and I, I don't know, I think the longer I leave it, the harder it gets. It's one of those things where I know it's a seminal piece of work. I know I should obviously go and read it and, and be impressed by it. But I, I, now, for me, all, all I see is kind of like the world we've inherited
1: yeah. kind of yeah. post. Dark, Dark Knight Returns is an amazing book. I I do love Dark Knight Returns. I think it's superb, but we also have it to blame for a lot of what came after. And I yeah, include uh, Frank Miller's later works in that.
0: Yeah, and I, oh god, I think I think that's the problem for me. I like I, I I'm sure it's great, but culturally now I can't appreciate it in a vacuum. Yeah, I, I I'm probably going to look at it and go, obviously just another grim and gritty comic when, it kind of in 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 many ways, it was the. The dark comic, like the, the one that told us, like, oh, comics are serious. Um, but yeah, but, it, but it's interesting you mentioned those those kind of three because Kingdom Come was definitely the one where I, I just loved it. I, 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 it really spoke to me. And even when I didn't have a familiarity with DC characters uh, on the same level that I did with uh, with Marvel, and yet something about Kingdom Come just kind of resonated with me, like these iconic moments in it. And it's a dark book in many ways, but it is also... It is optimistic as well. It's a book about hope. Yeah. And and for anyone, sorry, who's not familiar with Kingdom Come, and and maybe maybe we will come to it in time, Uh, it is, um, I guess for all alternate futures, but it is an alternate future tale of the DC universe where... The world has—it's all like the children of the heroes, isn't it? It's like yeah. um, the next generation, and all the old heroes have gotten old and, I guess, kind of irrelevant. Yes. And on the on the back of like these new, more violent heroes who have arisen, Superman, who's put himself into exile for years, decides to return and decides to fix the world, quote unquote. Uh, to kind of mixed results and it's about big themes and obviously there's a lot of biblical imagery in it but it's also um it's also about the relationship between batman wonder woman and superman yes and how they have all changed over time or how they haven't changed it's uh yeah, and, and full credit to Mark Wade because I think ultimately he understood the relationship between those characters.
1: I that's one of the things I love about Mark Wade as a writer. I think he is so good at giving us superheroes who are heroic and, and superheroes that do make you feel hope. And Morrison name checks his run on Captain America in the introduction, and I hold Mark Wade's run on Captain America as my absolute favourite run on that character, and one of my all-time favourite runs in in all of comics. I think it's amazing what he did there. Um, You see, another one I haven't
0: read It's one I'm culturally aware of I've just never I've never, you know, dove into it
1: I would say Mark Wade's run on Captain America Is one of the reasons I love comics It's one of the ones that made me realise I love this stuff Because I was reading that before I came across Morrison's JLA Um, But Mark Wade's run on Captain America Is a huge touchstone for me In terms of why I I love comics as a medium And what they can do So
0: it would be, as you say, it would be fascinating to know,
1: therefore,
0: what the editorial decisions at DC were at that time. So we're talking kind of like late 96, early 97, where we know, let's assume that they know Morrison's coming in. Yeah. Do Do they then say, well, we need a bridging thing? We need something to... Get us from A to B, so that Morrison can pick up the team in '97.
1: Yeah, because at this point the Justice League was very much in the Justice League International phase of its its existence, and I think oh, and was, and let's not forget let's not forget the Justice League Task Force. Yeah, so you had all these weird tangent books that were all filled with the Z List, as we covered in in <laughs> issue one. You know, Nuclon and ice maiden i think (laughs) how is it
0: i think how is it you can remember nuclon
1: but you can't remember fluxus because (laughs) because i'm annoyed that nuclon was on the jla because who the hell is this guy (laughs) uh isn't oh god i think i said this before the only thing i
0: know about nuclon is i think he's the brother of atom smasher might be maybe
1: but with the, oh, i don't know captain atom i think was leader of the justice league at this point and yeah the jla needed a revamp yes rock and
0: roll had grown scale <laughs> they needed uh they needed something new i i mean i guess what's kind of shocking to me is not that they decided to bring the main heroes back but that we'd ever got to a point where they weren't there yeah like why how and why did the JLA become well? I guess a kind of low rent Avengers. How did how did that happen?
1: Well, the Avengers did that too. If you look at the early to mid nineties roaster, when you've got <laughs> Death Cry on the team and none of the big names, it's, uh,
0: not to, again. Not to go too. Uh, we we talked in a in a previous issue about our respect for Kurt Busick um and how i love when he did the avengers uh, return uh, after the heroes reborn you have the uh, the great initial arc where they're trying to decide who's on the team and you've got forty odd avengers auditioning yeah. to be on the team and you have a member of the crowd outside like the the, the reporters are interviewing the excited fans and someone's going like Oh god, yeah, I'd settle for anyone. Even a Death Cry, I don't mind. <laughs> you know, like someone's someone's waving a placard for Death
1: Cry. There, Busik takes a few pops at Death Cry in in his run as well. <laughs> wasn't that wasn't that the era in which
0: everyone in the Avengers wore that sick jacket?
1: Yes. Certainly Cersei, oh, Crystal, Black Knight, they were all wearing it, yeah. God, what a time to be alive. Like, let's
0: bring back I take it back. The 90s were flawless. Let's bring back (laughs) jackets. Like, is Rogue patient zero for the superhero jacket? I think she might be. So Jim Lee drew Rogue in a skin-tight outfit and said, it needs something else. I'm going to put an amazing leather jacket over that. And suddenly, like, I imagine everyone in, like, the Marvel bullpen gathering around his desk going, oh my god, you've changed the game.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We can't go back. You get issues of X-Men where Cyclops is wearing a jacket over his when in the same era over his costume. And I think they put that in the animated series a couple of times. And even in the Capcom fighting game X-Men Children of the Atom, Cyclops starts the fight by throwing off a leather jacket. (laughs) And I
0: cannot tell you enough, PJ, how much I love that. Like... (laughs) In fact, that's the entire reason why in the last After I Think book we have Jack wearing a branded uh, After I Think jacket. Oh, nice. It was entirely like uh, I was talking to Kit, the artist, and I was like, you know what we're doing here, right? And he was like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we know exactly what we're doing. Um, but sorry, yeah. So, um, yeah, so for some re- weird reason, in the 90s, both the Avengers and JLA were fielding their
1: delisters yeah and then in both cases they realized why are we doing that neither book i think yeah. was selling particularly well um yeah and I th- maybe not surprisingly i think the last big thing dc had done might have been the final night uh which had all the big characters in it um in fact, that was night with a K or night with an uh, N. With an N, it's the story where something starts to eat the sun. Is that where Hal Jordan spoilers dies? Yeah, I mean, right. it's not really a spoiler, is it? Because we're going to have to cover it at some point. Yeah, Hal Jordan as Parallax sacrifices his life to reignite the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, looking at just looked up Final Night. I do have a copy of Final Night somewhere in the house. Um... But looking at it, it looks like that was being published concurrently with *Midsummer's Nightmare*. Weird, interesting. So,
0: I actually one, one question, Peter, I really wanted to ask you is what was the state of Green Lantern when J- *Midsummer's Nightmare* comes out? Because, as we will discover, Kyle Rayner is a character in *Midsummer's Night- Nightmare*. And I'm just wondering, how long had the world... Like, when was he born to the world, if that makes sense? Like, how long had he existed as a character?
1: Uh, It was soon after the return of Superman, um, because that was the storyline that was the catalyst for Hal Jordan, the destruction of Coast City during Return of Superman, um, which is the third part of the Death of Superman trilogy. Um, The destruction of Coast City sends Hal Jordan mad, and that's when he goes and basically... Begs the Guardians to restore it. They refuse. So Hal Jordan kills all the Green Lanterns.
0: Yay. And Ang starts wearing a ton of rings, Yeah, not
1: he? he? starts kind of collecting them. And that's when uh, Ganthit, who's the last surviving Guardian after Hal killed the others, um, lands on Earth and basically just gives the Green Lantern ring to the first random person he comes across, which is Carl Rayner. Uh, so that, I believe, would have been 95... I think so. Okay. Kyle's been Green Lantern from our perspective for a year and some change at this point, but from I, th- I think he he also had already joined the Titans, who were also in their own weird really? state of flux. He, I know he definitely weird. did a stint on the Titans. Um, uh, so I, I believe that's that's where we are with Kyle at this at this stage.
0: Yeah, because because it, it's weird, isn't it? Because the. I guess one of the weird things about the Green Lantern mythology by its own, just just taken on its own, is Green Lantern on his own is exceptional. Like the incredible ability to create things with your ring. But then the very fact that there are thousands of Green Lanterns out in the universe, to my mind, almost like dilutes what's special about Green Lantern uh, but that's, that's just me. I know I know people feel differently. But the interesting thing with Kyle, of course, is that he's meant to be the one and only remaining yeah. lantern, is he not? Which kind of means when they talk in JLA about how the ring is now the most powerful weapon in the universe, that kind of has a bit more weight to it because it is the only Green Lantern ring left behind.
1: And it's... it's I... The covers to this series are uh, linked together for one image and they're just presented as one image with a fold-out page in the back of my book. So I'm not 100% sure which is the cover to issue one, but I'm assuming Kyle <laughs> is front and centre. Uh, yes, yes, we sh- yes we shall assume. I mean, were they... Because again, there
0: was maybe... There was a back a bit of a backlash to him, Yeah, I think, as a character.
1: Oh, there was, yeah. It- people loved yeah, Al Jordan. So- um, but then people who came to it and he maybe was the first Green Lantern they encountered. Uh he's their favorite Green Lantern. And that's me and you. Yes, and, and that is the...
0: now everyone's entitled to their opinion, but how's this the correct one? Damn right. <laughs> in this in this situation. Um But yeah, so okay, so that is the weird situation we find ourselves in when a Mixumers Nightmare kind of drops on the world. Should
1: we should we dive in? Should we do the thing yeah. we're here for? Let's, let's, let's start with the front cover. On, on your copy on Comixology, is that just Kyle and Batman?
0: Yeah, it's presented in a slightly odd way, but I'm, I'm flicking back to it now. And yes, we have a lovely picture of Kyle up front and centre and Batman pouting gloriously behind him.
1: Cool. There we go. That's that covered.
0: Okay, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Simple. Uh, So PJ, you might have to be our guide here in this strange, strange land.
1: Yeah, so uh, the opening is um, a bit weird, let's be honest. We get three panels, uh, a hooded figure, reading weird symbols in a book and telling us, this is wrong. I am destiny. Earth's tomorrows are the keep of my sacred tome. And then he starts moaning about pages being missing from his book. And there seems to be a guardian of the universe, one of the Green Lantern guardians, just manifesting next to him, and he's in some kind of hedge maze. It's a weird opener. I I have to say, when this opened, I was
0: uh, going in blind, I was like, oh heck, Destiny's here. And I was like, and then I start doing that mental gymnastics where I'm like, okay, so when did Sandman come out? So this is post-Sandman. And I'm just kind of doing all this jumble, and there was definitely like... I feel there's a bit of a shorthand for a while in comic in DC comics where having destiny open your book was like that's for start that's
1: for, that's that's like shorthand for this is going to be a significant story. It's it's a weird one isn't it because when I when I first read this I hadn't read Sandman I had no idea that this was destiny from Sandman. Um, yeah. and that was never really became clear to me because by the time I got to reading Sandman I forgot that that's how this book opened. Right, right. Um, and it's, it's actually, it turns out, it's really throwaway. Yeah, because suddenly,
0: uh, we, now it's like layers within layers, um, we realise that that opening kind of scene with Destiny is actually a comic which uh, artist uh, writer slash artist Kyle Rayner is producing on his drawing board at home. Yeah,
1: and he 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 says sacred tome. Clearly, I was channeling my inner hack that day. So he's not happy with what he's done. No,
0: and he, we see him uh, pencil in mouth, uh, kind of just critiquing his own work, I guess. And, yeah. And it's it's kind of weird because it's like he's in his home studio, and. If there are comics kind of littered everywhere, including one called Mr. Pants, which, um, I mean, I just I want to hear more about that. What's going on there?
1: Now, it, it might not be the reference I'm thinking of, but Mr. Pants was the unofficial mascot for the video game company Rare. Uh, they did in, do a game on the, I believe, on the Nintendo DS called It's Mr. Pants. God, PJ, it's like... <laughs> You know, there are times in my life where I think I'm i
0: am clearly a sleeper agent sent to infiltrate Western society because you have just spoken my trigger <laughs> phrase for one thing which would never be uttered in polite conversation. Um. Okay, wow. God, what a time capture of weird. I mean, I don't know um, if
1: that's, you know, if if Wade, Nicheza, Robertson, anyone involved in this was aware of that, but...
0: Stranger things have happened.
1: Like, that is not, not possible.
0: Yeah. Shall okay. we say. Um. There is actually a picture of Green Lantern on the wall behind Kyle, like kind of Hal Jordan, kind of classic Green Lantern on on the wall.
1: Uh, yeah, next to what appears to be the Pulp Fiction poster.
0: Yes, good God, this is a time capsule. This is an abs. Mm-hmm. Didn't Pulp Fiction come out in '96? Um, yeah, I think it might have actually. Yeah, it's all happening right now. We are, we we've time traveled to that era. Um, but yeah, but Kyle is 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 not happy with his work, and uh, he's saying um, probably just the biggest in joke uh, in comics. He's saying I should have stuck with commercial art. Uh, maybe I would have ended up with a cool assignment like Blood Babes or Witch Force Five. Hmm. <laughs> and um, I guess this means that given that he was drawing destiny and
1: a a guardian i guess that means that kyle is drawing a dc comic i i think specifically kyle is drawing green lantern that's a bit weird isn't it it is like what's going on there Hmm. hmm. he even says actually uh i've got green lantern who i might add has no cleavage who thought up this character and he is actually
0: looking out of the page as he says that, as if he is well, I guess he's he's almost daring, daring the reader to find his words provocative. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder like, if this is like the most inside baseball kind of page ever, ever, ever written. Um, it's, it's almost like, hello and welcome to Knowing Nod, the comic basically, because <laughs> it's like, Kyle would Kyle is struggling to write decent dialogue. He's calling himself a hack. Uh, he would much rather be drawing any number of
1: well-endowed female superhero characters. Let's face it, it characters. Witchblade. This page is referencing Witchblade, it's referencing <laughs> Youngblood. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a strange environment we find ourselves in. <laughs> um, But Kyle's phone, which is based on Marvin the Martian, yep. I believe, starts ringing... And it's from his editor who says, Hi, this is Kevin. I'm your editor. You probably forgot since you haven't called me for a month. Uh, and he says, if this book misses shipping, I'm not going down alone. <laughs> Do you hear me?
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, Kyle has got his coat and he's leaving his apartment. And uh, look, there's Alan Scott, the Golden Age Green Lantern, also on his wall. Yeah.
0: So clearly a fan or just tons of reference
1: photos. And, and he's, around. Well, he's also wearing a Green Lantern baseball cap. Is he really? That's a, yeah. There's a Green Lantern symbol if, as he's walking out of the. He's got this baseball cap on backwards because it's the 90s, and as we're, we're watching him leave, what should be the front of his cap has a little Green Lantern logo on it. We see PJ. That's really weird because when we transition to the next page, yeah, it's not
0: there anymore. That is very strange. Yeah, now he's got a just a. This is a picture of like a guy wearing green sunglasses on the back of his cap. That's curious. Um, but yeah, so he's 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 kind of leaving
1: his apartment, and he just passes a couple saying goodbye to each other. Now, what I love about this, um, this is a same-sex couple; it's two women, and that's not even commented on in the book. Mm. It just is. Kyle's neighbours are just two women who are in a relationship, and that is just a fact of his life. And I love that. And again, <laughs> you know, not 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 to give the comic more credits
0: credit than than it's due, but. This was 96 as well, so that is kind of radical for the yeah. time. I know that's not much, but even just having Kyle just being a decent human being and saying good morning
1: is kind of nice. Well, yeah, then he just he, he walks out of the apartment with one of them, um, and they just have a lovely conversation. She asks how his comic's going, and it's, it's just normal human interaction.
0: Yeah, and uh, so Kyle, I mean, it's, it's a... It's a It's a character point throughout JLA, and I would have to assume his regular series, that Kyle just loves coffee. Yes. Like, Kyle is the biggest caffeine addict you could imagine. So he's out to get some coffee, and as he's kind of um, chatting with, uh, I I think her name is Lee? Yeah. Uh, And she's basically saying, hey, you look like you haven't slept, you've been working all night. Uh, I'm guessing superhero comics aren't doing very well right now on account of, you know, everything that's been happening lately. Hmm. Yeah, and Kyle's like, yeah, I don't know. He's, I'm, I'm just struggling to meet my deadlines, and to be honest, I haven't really thought about the real world for a while. Uh, I guess because he's just kind of, yeah, like he's just kind of like shut in and working. I guess.
1: Yeah, but they walk down together to the coffee shop that uh, I think is is actually under or opposite or next to the apartment building, which is Radu's. Uh, which is a coffee shop that Kyle lives near in his own book as well. Radu is is a character. I've got a, a number of Green Lantern comics featuring uh, Radu's coffee uh. shop. Okay, uh, PJ, pop quiz. In the 90s,
0: in Spider-Man, when Ben Riley took over as the hero, what was the name of his favourite coffee shop? The
1: Daily Grind. Yes, oh DJ. <laughs> Come on, man. I knew
0: I knew you were worthy. As soon as you said Ben <laughs> Riley, I knew what you were gonna ask. There's clearly like there's an alternate fanfic, I think, in my head where Kyle and Ben Riley just um go like just
1: drink coffee, I guess. Like there's no dialogue, they just enjoy their coffee well, together. I do feel like there's there's an element of Kyle serving the purpose in the DCU in the nineties that Peter Parker and Ben Reilly were supposed to fill for Marvel certainly in the early days of Spider-Man Peter Parker was the everyman hero and that's what Kyle is here. DC tried it a number of times Firestorm I guess is the most notable example um mm. but really Kyle in the 90s is DC's everyman. He is their Spider-Man. Does every does every decade have that character do you think? Was was Firestorm more of a 80s character? Yeah, he I'm... was. He, he was a conscious effort to um to make they they actually said we're trying we want to make a Spider Man type Everyman here not in the powers or look or anything but just in that type of the readers eyes into yeah. it that's what Firestorm was supposed to be when he was created
0: and it's interesting because again you're saying like you know Kyle is you know the Everyman and of course I obviously I am going into this series blind I know a tiny bit about it but in the back of my head I'm just going like well I know that Kyle is always balancing being a superhero with doing his day job so I'm just kind of looking at this scene of Kyle getting coffee and I'm thinking oh you know this poor guy like he's 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 clearly busy you know it's like I, I wonder when the superhero action is going to kick off Uh, you know it must be hard being a superhero and drawing a comic at the same time
1: yeah and that's
0: all that's going through my head
1: <laughs> that's why he needs the coffee and he orders a triple shot latte that's a lot of coffee that
0: is. I, I used to work in a coffee shop when I lived in Canada, and we had a guy who came in every day and ordered a venti six-shot caramel macchiato. I love coffee, but that is... I could No! What? No. no! You would be flying. You would be flying. And... Yeah, and he was like the skinniest guy in the world. Like, I, I wonder if he ate anything, or if he just kind of vibrated through life constantly. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, but yeah, but they are, they are drinking coffee and Lee, Kyle's neighbor, asks about a news uh, item last night about the latest spark bold text in America.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Radu has actually also said to Kyle at this point, uh, anything happened with you? And Kyle says, oh, with the spark? No, not not me. You. And Radu says, yes, I am to be caffeine man. Uh, okay,
0: yeah. So, okay, so clearly everybody knows about this thing called the spark, whatever the hell that is, and nobody seems particularly upset about it, whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Um, it's... It's alluded to here it's and basically they say they say radio says seventy nine thousand people uh, the news is reported um. yeah,
0: and just because we're wondering what the hell is going on, Lee says at this rate, you two will be the last people left on earth without superpowers, and then she flies away
1: takes just takes off,
0: yeah uh leading to a splash page of, out in the street, just a tonne of normal people flying.
1: Yep. Just as if it's a normal thing.
0: Yeah, so suddenly, right up the bat... Oh, oh, and also, missed it, there's somebody running at super speed down the street.
1: Well. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're overtaking that car. Look at that.
0: Never noticed so, that before. <laughs> again, we're always learning.
1: So, again, right off the bat,
0: there is clearly something... Very strange going on here. And
1: here we get the the title of this issue: "True Lies," because it was the nineties. Because yeah, that's a great film. Though. I haven't seen it. God, sorry, you're
0: exposing all my <laughs> all my all my failures here. Um, I guess kind of. I guess my my initial question at this point is because I wasn't, I didn't really know where this sat. I didn't even know if Kyle, you know, had received the ring yet. Like like genuinely in canon so i was just i'm i am a little bit at this point like what is going on now uh i i know that something is up i know that this is a i know kind of what this story is about but i'm like hmm where does where does kyle sit in the grand scheme of things
1: so yes in in the grand scheme kyle is green lantern kyle has his powers uh he's apparently not though he's saying he doesn't here now at this point you could think Maybe that's just because of his secret identity. He obviously, the world doesn't know he's Green Lanterns. So he's playing along. We're not going to go any more into that right now, though, because if we turn the page, we see Lee, Kyle's neighbour, flying through New York. And then there's a flash of light and she's not there. And then she reappears in Metropolis. Yes,
0: um, which, of course, we all know is is many hundreds of miles away up somewhere on the east coast of America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh and we, we we briefly and we know it's Metropolis because the caption says, but also because we see uh the Daily Planet uh building and also the Luther building with its glorious kind of L shape on the top of it. That's brilliant. Uh and uh yeah, and of course we cut to the Daily Planet, where uh there is a hustle and a bustle going on and uh we have our good friend
1: noted journalist clark kent staring out the window with his ponytail with a massive ponytail his hair is so long in this book it is astonishing
0: like it i mean we we've talked about superman's incredible 90s hair a lot but oh my god like
1: it, it, it is it, god bless the 90s like what a time. I mean it's it's long in um New World Order, the, the first four issues of JLA, but it's not it's just like shoulder length here. It seems to go like halfway down his back. It's it's a lot longer in this book than it is in in anything else we've read so far.
0: I get I get that like in
1: the in universe logic here is
0: that this was the nineties and longer hair was in fashion. Like this didn't you know, they didn't just say, Hey, let's give Superman long hair because what the hell. But the idea that Clark Kent would have a really long ponytail is quite strange to me. I kind of feel like the character of Clark, or the character that Superman is portraying, I can't imagine. I've never imagined him as being
1: like in line with fashion.
0: If that makes sense. Yeah,
1: it's it's very strange, isn't it? It's he basically. I think it was about two years he had this this haircut. He comes back from the dead. And his hair was just long because I guess coming back from the dead does that? And, yeah. And then I guess we, we never see the scene where it happens, but I guess he just looks in the mirror and goes, hey, look at that. I like that. I guess I, I guess it's probably
0: worth noting that no one else in the office has this hairstyle. So maybe I'm giving him too much credit by saying he's sticking to a trend. Um, but he's kind of like, oh, who was that? I was like, wasn't there like a male model in the nineties called Fabio? I have didn't no he ha- idea. Didn't he have like really long hair? Wasn't he like patient zero for this look?
1: I will take your word on this.
0: Okay. Okay. So clearly you remember you remember everything about movies and comics from the nineties, and I remember I remember everything about Fabio. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> great. I I'm mean, that's I your problem. That. I don't. Okay, but uh, Kent is uh, staring out the window, uh, looking at the flybys, you know, the new people with powers and all that,
1: Uh, and uh, Perry White is angry, as he often is. Well, he seems to be looking for him. We've got a number of, where's Kent? Who's seen Clark Kent? There's a nice little there, where's Parker? Wrong paper. (laughs) Um, And then finally, someone points out to Perry that uh, Clark Kent is over there staring out the window.
0: And why, PJ, is Perry White so angry?
1: Because uh, Clark Kenton has written a story, and he's given him a story about the spark. And here's... uh, Perry's not happy with it. This is where he says, uh, This article on yesterday's genetic spark is weak, Clark. Places, statistics, but no angle. Can't you, of all people, look beneath the surface?
0: i feel this is maybe like a mark um i i'm gonna i'm gonna assume this is mark wade because i do see this in his writing a lot like those kind of double meaning kind of lines i guess i don't know if it's like a trademark or just something i'm projecting I, I feel it was in uh daredevil a lot his run on daredevil mm. there's always just these little little quirky lines just to reward the reader um but yeah but um uh, Clark apologizes and says he's just not just not feeling himself this week you know and uh uh and Perry says well look you know um we, we metahumans are springing up worldwide people are gaining powers there's apparently 3 million people in Africa already and they've successfully uh irrigated the sahara um and he says you know i need you to write a decent article how does this affect the common man where's your angle damn it
1: So this is two storylines in a row we've read where the Sahara's been irrigated. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird.
0: It's weird that. Um, And I guess kind of Clark's response is you know, at this rate, I don't think there'll be enough
1: regular humans left to
0: actually care.
1: Yeah. So we're very much left in the the position here that the superhumans are actually outnumbering your regular, unpowered, down-to-earth humans. Mm. And yeah, and, and
0: Clark just... Yeah, and Clark is just not having a good week at his job, basically. Like, he's just not doing an especially good job at writing a piece. He just can't seem to make it work.
1: So, yeah, Perry walks off and just says, work the piece. And then Ron... Um walks over, one of the regular Daily Planet staffers who I believe was a regular in the Superman books in the 90s. I don't know if he was introduced before that or exactly when he first appeared. But he specifically said, asks Clark, you know, if, if you don't want to write this, why do you keep asking for a, the assignment to write about the spark? And Clark can't answer him. He doesn't know. He just says something inside him needs to tell this story. Yeah, he's like, I... I... I kind
0: of feel like I need to write about these superhumans, but the closer I get to it, it's like they stop being real to me somehow. I can't explain.
1: Yeah, and then they're interrupted by... I don't know if this character has a name. (laughs) (laughs) A, a, A
0: different staff member at the Daily Planet who has found a lovely new paperweight, which is a glowing... Lump of Green Rock.
1: Which Clark reacts to.
0: Yeah, Clark just freaks the hell out. You get one uh, of those lovely
1: moments that I think is a very 90s thing where Clark has a big speech bubble lined with... It's red around the outside with a white inside and there's just a big exclamation point in it. No words, just a big old exclamation mark. And as we, you
0: know, and then to transition from that into some more lovely lettering... On the next panel, not only does his border have an outline, uh, a coloured outline, it's got a gradient, PJ. Yep. I honestly can't think of the last time I saw that. Um, <laughs> as Clark screams, get that away from me.
1: And, um, yeah. Then he's just... He, it's a very 90s Clark. What's your damage?
0: <laughs> what is your damage, Clark? Uh, because, yeah, this unnamed staffer is... Look, look it's, it's not radioactive. It's just a pet rock. I got it at... Oh, this is going to test me? Uh go on, you can do it. M- uh mi- Mixierspitalick. Mixies Uh Mr. Mix PJ, you're better at this, you say. Mixies Mixierspitalick's toys. Yes. So and and uh, she holds up a bag which has um the uh the smiling face of um Mixie. That, car- She's him yeah, Mixie. that character. called Yeah, that character. Oh, old Mixie, uh the fifth-dimensional imp who frequently Bedevils Superman. Uh, and uh, Clark is like, I don't know why I'm acting this way.
1: I'm going to leave. He just makes an excuse and walks off.
0: Yeah, so I, I guess we can assume
1: that he's not Superman. And then we get more clues that things aren't quite right with the superheroes. Because as Clark work, walks off, you get two staffers talking about Rex Mason, uh, metamorpho. Again, he just... He won't die. <laughs> he just keeps coming back. I mean, this is before the big crash, of course. Yeah,
0: I, it's, like, it's like the world was carrying a torch for Metamorpho. Mm-hmm. They,
1: just, they just couldn't let it go. So you get one person saying he got into the pyramid, but it was empty uh, because, because Metamorpho gets his powers when he enters an old Egyptian the... tomb.
0: Yeah, don't, it come from like the sun god. Yeah, something they?
1: like that. Uh, and he's talking to another presumably daily planet staffer but one straight from the 50s because with a suit gray hair and a pipe who says that um the dig that mason got into the pyramid on was being financed by Oliver Queen
0: uh who you might know as green arrow so uh, uh, and so yeah these weird little uh kind of uh, as you say easter eggs or kind of hints that the universe isn't right start popping up because uh clark mentions Joint Chief of Staff Nathaniel Adam, who I believe is Captain Atom. Yeah. And Alan Scott, who is the original Green Lantern. Is that correct? Yes,
1: but I believe in the comics at this moment he was going by Sentinel. Yes, yes, that is true, because there were too many Green Lanterns running around. And
0: isn't isn't there like a weird thing, a weird little quirk about... Alan Scott's history is that he also lived in Gotham.
1: Yay? Nay? I lost you for a moment there and I didn't hear what you asked me. Oh, okay. I was going to say, um, is there not a weird quirk about
0: the history of Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern, that he actually lives in Gotham?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, for a time in the comics he does because there's um a... Green Lantern story arc where Kyle Rayner goes to visit other heroes to get advice on how to be a hero. One of the ones he tries to visit is Batman, and Batman basically just says go away, but then in while in Gotham he has a small adventure with Alan Scott instead. Oh, there we go.
0: Uh, but yeah, but Alan Scott has been named CEO of LexCorp, or LexCorp, and um, yeah, and, and I think there's also a little um, booster... Gold reference Clark, on the screen. Yeah,
1: Clark reads some I guess some some updates that have come in for possible stories on a computer screen, one of which mentions uh yep, Michael Booster Carter, uh Booster Gold. You've also got Beatriz de Costa, which is fire. And then right fire. at the bottom, Ted Cord or Blue Beetle.
0: Damn it. Yes, I was a second behind you. I couldn't quite uh piece my synapses together <laughs> in time. Um but yeah, and, and Clark says that basically he needs to sort himself out. He's talking to himself. Uh, he's got his little thought bubbles going, which you don't see anymore, uh, saying um, he's starting to feel like an alien on his own planet.
1: And he, he explains away the fact that he knows all these names, like these names are familiar to him. Well, of course they are. He's, he's a reporter. The world. He sees the world. He sees all these things. He knows these names because he's, he's seen stories on them before. That's all it is. Yeah, that's why he Yeah. Nothing nothing weird going on
0: here at all. Uh but then we uh we cut suddenly to um well, shall we say uh, Gotham, perhaps. And um we have uh Bruce Wayne uh walking and talking with Lucius
1: Fox. Uh Bruce is reading the paper, and Lucius <laughs> usual mix misunderstanding here. Lucius is oh hard to believe, isn't it? And Bruce is like, yes, rather nightmarish, in fact. Uh, turns out, Lucius is talking about all the people getting superpowers, but Bruce is like, oh no, the, the uh, kid just lost his parents in an attack. Here's a question for you, PJ.
0: In your printed edition of uh, *A Christmas Nightmare*, is there any text uh, in the co- in the newspaper that Bruce is reading? So, in the
1: first panel, you do get a couple of headlines, but then the rest of the page, no.
0: Okay, I was just wondering if that was just me or something like that. Whether, but no, he he just has a big old blank newspaper. But but you know artistic license. We
1: we. I I, it's a thought that's coming to me now, and I'm not going to say too much because it will give. I, I don't want to spoil issues two and three for you, John. But I think oh, it might wow. be intentional.
0: Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, okay. Put okay. put a
1: pin in that. We'll try and remember we'll that to that. discuss post issue three. Uh.
0: But yeah, so um, uh, Bruce and Lucius are, you know, talking about the state of the world. Uh, Lucius was referring to people suddenly gaining uh, crazy, crazy superpowers, Uh, whereas Bruce was preoccupied by the story of a murder that um, a husband and wife were
1: slain by bloomers while their son watches. I think that means they were outside a shop, not that they were killed by pants. <laughs> Wait, I, I, I honestly didn't know
0: what that meant. I seemed um, is 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 a bloomer a term for someone with who has new superpowers? Or maybe, like, has have
1: their powers bloomed inside them? Yeah, let's go with that. That makes more sense, doesn't it?
0: Okay, I wasn't sure. If, <laughs> that's
1: mentioned again. I thought it meant it's, outside Bloomingdale's.
0: It's an odd headline, I've got to say. Um, they often are. Um. But no, uh, uh, and Bruce is like, uh, uh, you know, write a, have someone write a check for the boy. And Lucius, like, why, why, why are you talking like that? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but he, he basically says, uh, let's just throw money at the problem. I, I, want that boy to never want for anything ever again. He will be, he will be, he will
1: have money for the rest of his life. And and Lucius basically says, uh, come on, Bruce, we're doing this again. You you can't do this for every orphan. This is what you're crazy.
0: Yeah, and he's um he's basically like you can't be a benevolent guardian to everyone in the city. And Bruce goes, "Yes, I can." <laughs> uh yeah, so for some reason, you know, Bruce takes it upon himself to protect Gotham. Isn't that Isn't that strange? Specifically to protect the children of Gotham.
1: Isn't lovely yeah. uh, lovely sort of rich uncle. Yes, it just th- again
0: Throwing money at the problem. Um, But yeah, we cut to uh, the Wayne Manor. And um, Alfred is telling Bruce that uh, you've had a thank you letter from a Barbara Gordon. You've had a thank you. um,
1: Oh, and also something about uh, young Jason Todd will be financially secure for the rest of his life. Implying that Barbara Gordon is this young boy, Jason Todd, his new guardian. Yes, and alluding to the fact that Bruce has taken it upon
0: himself to not adopt as such, but to uh, kind of extend financial care to countless orphans or troubled children across Gotham.
1: Yeah. And Alfred actually says, how many is this? 102. And Bruce just says, I see no need to count them, Alfred. And I guess it's,
0: weird because this is almost an indictment of everything Bruce could achieve if he wasn't putting his money into Batarangs.
1: Now, now, see, this is... I don't like it when this point gets raised because it's not true. Bruce Wayne in his private... Bruce Wayne life when he's not being Batman he sinks millions of dollars into charitable foundations into helping the city into helping other people but that's not the interesting part of the story because it's not as much fun as watching him punch criminals so this thing about Bruce Wayne's money he could do so much more he does do that stuff as well as the Batman stuff stop raising that point everyone you're all idiots and it's annoying me I'm so sorry I feel I feel bad <laughs> for bringing it up at this point
0: is it the Martha Wayne Foundation yeah that's one of the Yeah, many. that kind of cares for people. Yeah, the one thing I will say about that is it does suggest that Wayne Cor- Corp, Wayne Corp, yeah, uh, is doing very well. Yeah, because Bruce actually spends a lot. Like as you say, like he is, he can just kind of sink money into helping people. Yeah, like it's kind of like um I think Tony Stark did a bit of this in the in the nineties, like that kind of philanthropy kind of thing. The idea that he was like your friendly billionaire, yeah. where the magic power of money just meant that he could... like, Even if I was a billionaire, I might think to myself, I do actually really want to sink money into this good cause, but I may need to check with my accountant first, because if I bankrupt the company, I can't continue helping people. <laughs> like, you imagine he's like, got a team of um, financial experts going, Bruce, look, we get it. We also want to help people, but Let's just, you know, get, let us let us build a financial plan, because you can't just give fifty million to every worthy cause, you know. Maybe <laughs> in Q, maybe in Q two we can do that, you know. After the next, you know, sales come in,
1: uh, and then, but then in the back to the comic, we get <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. We basically uh, get Alfred saying, um. How much more must you pay out to compensate for all that your parents cost you? As Bruce stares at a photo of his parents.
0: Mm. 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 But then we transition to um, actually a very, very nice few panels here. Mm. But we have um, an explosion and a narration of someone going, I can't make it in time. I'm fast, but I'm not fast enough and we have this figure in red uh, racing towards us as a, as a as a blur it's the flash it's a flash it's clearly uh, the flash
1: he's got the 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 yellow energy behind him you can see the you don't see the detail on the costume but you do see the little ear things in silhouette yeah
0: and it's almost it's quite kind of unreal and hazy yeah. because we never we never get a proper view at him view of him and um as his narration says it's like I'm alone. There, are others. There should be others, and yeah, it's like we, we just see like um fire and uh, a, a a countdown and and it's you just get like it's it's very dreamlike. You just get this kind of sense of like uh, tension and and rising desperation that something bad is about to happen.
1: And he runs past a crate that is marked for the attention of Snapper Car, Happy Harbor contents, trophies, caverns. This is clearly the 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 old Justice League cave headquarters
0: yeah yeah oh now interesting Where, at what point was there a cave
1: uh, i believe that was the headquarters uh their original headquarters when the justice league first first started in the 60s
0: Oh, you've surprised me that's actually a little bit of JL uh justice league trivia i wasn't aware of um but snapper car now he was very much like the car oh this is terrible I, can't, I suddenly can't remember his name. Rick Jones. Yeah. He was the Justice League's Rick, Rick Jones. And that that was gonna be my question. Was he the human teenage teenage human hanger on of the Justice League? He
1: was, yes. Right, so he wasn't like from say the Flash or whatever. No, he was he was very much in the Justice League book and he, he they they did have him in um JLA Year One uh as a supporting character, just there to help the Justice League out and basically be their admin boy. And why was he called Snapper? Because he liked to... <laughs> he'd just snap his fingers all the time. And
0: did he not also gain superpowers, I believe, as part of the Gene Bomb Dominion storyline back in the 80s? No, I
1: don't know, to be honest. I, I I haven't read that one. Now, PJ, if you were to give Snapper car superpowers, what powers do you imagine he would gain? That he would snap his fingers and hit you with a sonic
0: boom or something. No, I believe it was teleportation. Oh, he could he could snap his fingers and go anywhere. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Why do I know that? <laughs> I don't know why do Why do I know that? I swear like I've forgotten my cousin's name now. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so we have this kind of uh weird, unreal, dreamlike state of this figure in red, racing and racing and racing, trying to reach something
1: yeah we don't really see what we just see like a blur as he's racing towards he thinks it's one of the 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 people he should be with i can see one of them and as he's reaching for them he just can't and then wally west wakes up and it was all a dream yeah
0: and again he has yeah and he says like you know you've got to get a move on mr west you're gonna be late for class you know, and, and you might have to run. What? No. what? Knowing wink for comic. Um, yeah, okay. So that's again another curious and strange little scene. Uh, but then we cut again before before we've even had time to, for the dusk to settle. We are suddenly in a gateway city, and the Femiscara Femiscara or Femiscara uh, Femiscara School for Girls. And we have uh, a bunch of girls in uniforms uh, doing a tug-of-war,
1: kind of outdoor activity kind of thing. Uh, Asking their teacher, one Miss Prince, if she will referee. Yeah, and, uh, you
0: know, she's there to uh, keep things fair. And then suddenly uh, one of the girls yanks on the rope, maybe a bit too hard,
1: because everyone is sent absolutely flying through the air and as this, a result this girl also does the uh, trademark Clark Kent exclamation point speech bubble how do you imagine that sounding PJ what
0: <laughs> I was I was thinking it would be like a, a silent like uh, but no no it's, it's that okay so, so a an exclamation mark on its own in a bubble is shorthand for <laughs> oh god what have I done Okay. Okay. No. No. It's fine. This is canon now. Um, and that poor, g- as uh as Ms. Prinks uh looks at all these poor unconscious girls that are scattered across the ground, we see that this one girl, uh, her arm has grown massive and purple. She's just got one really big arm now. It's quite lumpy as well. Yeah, kind of like a bit of um thing slash hulk kind of like grotesque hero kind of
1: vibe sort of thing uh, but it's it's just the one arm at the moment which is a, a rubby if one of your arms goes big purple and lumpy that's that's not a good good superpower no. is it
0: no you maybe look like you're kind of like retaining water a bit like it's um a bit of a swelling there and uh, the girls go oh, she's one of those genetic sparkers uh and they also say, Ms. Prinks, you're the headmistress, do something. Which, just in case just in case we didn't really know what the situation was. I, I do love miscellaneous exposition
1: characters. And then we see uh, the girl whose name is Teresa. Um, she gets very upset at the idea of being a sparker. Actually says, what did I do wrong? And then smashes a tree. Yeah, just um, obliterates uh,
0: a tree uh, with probably the greatest sound effect I've ever read in a comic which is shrekth chaff
1: it's good that's a good effect yeah uh and actually a little point i've noticed here as well for the first time her it's her right arm that's that's changed into the big purple monstrosity but you actually see that the right side of her uniform is torn slightly as well and the skin underneath there is purple too so the transformation is uh hitting more of of her
0: yeah, kind of like isn't isn't complete yet, and as I guess, kind of like great big shards of broken tree go flying towards the girls, uh, Ms. Prince does an incredible som- somersault, uh, lands and basically like deflects all the shards with her bracelets, her big silver bracelets, which are uh, unusual things for a headmistress to be wearing. Yeah, like you know, I, I guess there's they could potentially fall under reasonable ju- jewellery <laughs> that someone might wear. But again, um, pretty epic back, backflip. Sorry. Uh, and then the girls are going, oh, M- Ms. Prinks must be a sparker too. Uh, uh, but she's just pure business and picks
1: up the massive tug-of-war rope. Uh, ties it into a lasso and lassoes Teresa with it. And says to her, you must face the truth. And, again, I do feel a little sorry for Teresa, who admittedly is trying to
0: run away because she's scared, but it does... I, I, at first I thought that Miss um, Prinks had basically lassoed her around the neck. I was just <laughs> <laughs> bringing her down much like a a, a buffalo. Um, but no, she's kind of got, like, across her torso, so she's not throttling her, at least. Few. Yeah, few, that's good. Um but she does kind of bring her to the ground and poor Teresa is terrified and uh, she just comforts her and says, look, you know, if you're gaining incredible powers, uh, you know, but it's not something to be scared of, we'll we'll all work it out. And That's actually, there's
1: there's more of the gradual transformation here, because in the first panel after she's grabbed her with the lasso, Teresa is kneeling on the ground and her right leg is starting to change. And then in the next panel, the right leg is completely purple. And in the next one, her face is starting to go as well. So, um, And her speech yeah. bubbles are getting sort of wibbly stalks as if her voice is changing too. I, my first band
0: was actually called Wibbly Stalks. <laughs> um, but yeah, but the girls are like, um, like what the hell? Uh, you know, what was up? You know, we can, we can accept our friend kind of growing like a massive purple arm, but how the heck did you do a backflip? uh deflect all those sharks and lasso someone.
1: And Miss Prince is like I don't know. Ah, oh, Miss Prince is a wonderful woman. I know. <laughs>
0: she's quite quite you might say she's exceptional No that doesn't work. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but we cut suddenly uh from that to a fish.
1: And then they fish shot. on a wall. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. <laughs> no. Yes, yeah, so it's a it's a swordfish or maybe a marlin. I don't know what the actual difference is between those two things. Are they the same thing? I don't know. I, I just
0: I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I feel I feel we need to rebrand the podcast right now into PJ's fish facts. You know? <laughs> I'm so impressed that you could bring up not one but two species of fish right there. Well, let's be honest, there aren't many fish that have
1: big long pointy noses like that.
0: No, and I, and my knowledge of fish with big, long, pointy noses began and ended with swordfish. I guess there's also a sawfish, But no, marlin. I'm very impressed, PJ. That's assuming I've got it right. You t- you teach us so much. Yeah. I have no reason to believe you would be wrong. Um, But yeah, so we are now in New Carthage. Carthage? Car-
1: Carthage. And specifically, the Red Tide Tuna Company.
0: Would you ever... Ever, even, you know, regardless of your thoughts of heavy industrialised fishing, would you ever call your fishing company Red Tide? No. It's awful. S- like, sounds really bloody <sighs> and villainous. I know, and especially when apparently they are dealing with some uh, environmentalist protests which are going on outside, and I'm like, are we the bad guys? Yeah. <laughs> like, you might as well call yourself, like, you know, Slaughter Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> pillaging the sea with a piracy corporation no no that's worse no red tide let's go with red tide uh, uh and yeah and we have a corporate boardroom
1: yeah and they say the uh that they're looking for Artie, who is apparently the vice president in charge of and no one really seems to know what he's in charge of but he's not there uh
0: and i i do believe that the um now, am I, I, did I project, did I dream this, but I thought the gentleman lost you speaking. Oh, sorry, PJ, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, yeah, I lost you again there, sorry, John.
0: Oh, okay, no, it's fine, we'll leave it in, it all adds to the realness of it. Yes, there <laughs> is, I thought I was dreaming it, but we have, the name of the gentleman speaking is Gar, which I believe is the real name of Aquilad. Uh, Tempest at this point in the comics, but yes, Aqualad. Oh, I do apologise, Tempest. Yes, you're you're quite right. Um, but they are basically um, moaning about the fact that they don't know where this arty gentleman is, and he is apparently in charge of environmental concerns. Oh, arty. Classic arty. And apparently, as they say, they're a little scornful, but they say that Arthur Curry was one of our fleet crew he lost his hand in a factory accident and now he's a real fish hugger. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically they let him onto the board so that he could comment on ecological concerns so that he wouldn't sue them or sue the scales off them, which is a nice little fish joke if you're working in a company called Red Tide. Um, yeah, so they've basically, from their perspective, they've had they've had to let an environmentalist uh, tree or fish hugger onto the board just to keep the peace
1: yeah and there's the one of the women on the board who i believe is also meant to be is she dolphin, dolphin. yeah
0: dolphin yes another fish-based hero
1: yeah um but she says what? uh basically if we're supposed to make him believe he's on this team why are we leaving him out of these things we shouldn't keep him benched if you looked outside and we cut to all the protesters outside the factory with signs that say no more dolphins killed and then one sign which has an angry fish wearing a flat cap on it I I do love the idea that like
0: I I kind of imagine that given that Red Tide called their company Red Tide they may be like I kind of imagine that a lot of this is their own doing because they may have said something like now admittedly we do kill some dolphins every year but that is well below our quota you know it's oh damn it i shouldn't have said that we killed dolphins that was definitely a bad
1: decision well then one of the protesters actually spells it out for us by going red tide blood tide oh yeah i've joined the dots for you yeah i mean that's not even like much of a play on words i think red tide is also just pretty bad yes it really is it really is Uh, and then he says this outfit rapes the seas and no one cares Wow. And again, this guy is scaring right out the page at us as as though as though daring the reader to disagree. It's not up to us to disagree, though, John, because what we have instead is a blonde fella with long hair and a beard staring out his window who can somehow hear this man who's very far away from him saying, and wrong, I care. PJ, I,
0: I feel you are glossing over the most important thing of this scene, which is that this blonde-haired gentleman I believe has his, has his hair tied back in a ponytail.
1: Oh, is, they call that the Clark Kent. <laughs> the, the,
0: <laughs> yes, but again, um, one is an oddity, two is a coincidence. If we can find a third person, it's a trend. Yes, suddenly we have a trend. Um, oh damn it! I don't think Nightwing's in this book. Oh no! Wait, PJ, quick, flick back a page. Oh oh oh! Who's that in the protests? That gentleman has a ponytail. Oh, there we go. It's a
1: trend. Who is that there we guy? Go. It's a
0: trend. Um, does he have to be a named character? He's, for it to he's work? got Captain Boomerang sideburns. Okay, let's assume in our head canon that that is Captain Boomerang <laughs> protesting the abuse of the sea. There we go. Done. It's there a trend. <laughs> okay, and clearly, what I mean, and what a fashion trend. Um, but yeah, so this is the aforementioned uh, Arthur Curry or Artie curry and um yeah he's seriously conflicted he he thinks that he should be down there with the protesters helping them
1: and then he's questioning if he can actually make a difference he seems to know that the board are keeping him on the sidelines and then he gets a, a message from presumably his his secretary saying the meeting started they're waiting for you and he stares at his fish tank
0: and he has a tiny little underwater kingdom model in his fish tank.
1: Isn't that cute?
0: Isn't that cute? But we cut we cut suddenly to um elsewhere. Mmm, could be anywhere. Uh but it is a red sandy environment with a strange pinkish purple sky and weird well, they may not be alien, but I'm going to assume that they are alien-like structures rising out of the
1: sand. And then we get some uh, some green figures. A, a mother and a, well, I, I believe, daughter, I think. Yeah. I mean,
0: assuming that um, sex, biological sex, works, e- even anything resembling uh, Earth species over here. Uh, but yeah, we have these green-skinned, pointy-headed
1: creatures. Now, what I love here, their speech bubbles have the the, uh, the little pointy arrow brackets around the words but there's no no um caption box to tell you translated from anything at this point in the 90s that was just shorthand for they're not speaking english yes and i i was
0: gonna yeah no i'm so glad you brought that up because i wanted to mention it as well it's funny how that did just become yeah the industry standard for somebody talking in another language it's really weird yeah, did they have a
1: moratorium on that to agree? I want to know when that happened, when they stopped putting a little little caption box with a star saying translated from, and it, you just had that little,
0: the the brackets. Yeah. God knows it's clever. I love it. Um, but yeah, but, um, but um, we can assume that we are on Mars based on the dialogue, because um, the younger, the little creature, the child says, mother, mother, guess what? Lenar taught us at the knowledge ceremony, and this is just blowing my mind, the mother says oh, no more talk about the quote-unquote pale Martians I trust.
1: Which is mind-blowing to me. Now, maybe this and New World Order were being written at the same time and they compared notes? They have to have been informed yeah, each
0: other. Like, they, they, they have to be, surely, because... I mean, we'll get to it in time, but like some of the stuff that's being set up here, I mean, there's no way it could have happened in a vacuum. They must have, maybe like Grant Morrison's pitch document was kind of like, you know, because obviously he would have had to say his plans for the series. Maybe it was being like circulated. You know, it's like, hey, if you're doing this bridging story, any work you could do to... So the for what's to come would be incredible
1: well each issue of midsummer's nightmare is is a bit longer than a regular comic i don't think they were prestige format but they were they're certainly slightly longer comics um so yeah you have to imagine morrison had done his pitch document for his run on jla and they were saying this is great but we want something big to bring this version of the justice league back before we get into the regular series
0: Mm-hmm, and maybe mm-hmm.
1: morrison was too busy working on the regular series to to actually do it so they turn to because mark wade as well will do a lot of the fill-in issues um issues of jla that aren't written by uh grant morrison i think there's one mark miller one one by someone else but most of them are mark wade
0: mm-hmm. yeah and you said that was because there was like a kind of creative team swap kind of yeah mark
1: mark because obviously mark wade was on the flash as well so morrison and wade swapped books for a while and and morrison wrote the flash um and of course mark wade then takes over jla when morrison eventually leaves um and at the same time during the earlier issues of jla while morrison was doing that mark wade was writing jla year one so there's a lot of crossover between wade and morrison on these books
0: yeah, they definitely were like a kind of, I don't like a, a loose partnership of sorts. And, I, and, and as I understand it, personal friends as yeah. well. Um, but no, but sorry, no, I, I'm, I'm completely uh, digressing. Uh, and we do have some distance, skill to travel here. Uh, but yeah, but these two, um, these two Martians are talking. And uh, the younger one says there may be life on other
1: planets. And the mother's basically, uh, no, don't be stupid. You're an idiot child. That's the the subtext.
0: Yes, but does your father
1: believe it to be true?
0: And then we gain another Martian who is wearing a very distinctive red X-shaped harness across his chest. Hmm, where have I seen that before? Hmm. Could be a good friend of ours. Um, Good friend of yours. uh, (laughs) It's a very small thing, but I notice that... um, uh, uh john, I'm just gonna say it Jean here were uh, ha- has um additional kind of like spikes on his back
1: well, this is why is- I presume uh that the the younger one is 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 the daughter because i this is just purely my inference from from what I'm seeing but i th- I presume the spikes are a male thing, and the lack of spines are female yeah it's it's a very it's a nice and subtle little detail because it kind of there's also like it
0: suggests that Zhang's head has like a second kind of point to yeah. it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and of course he's a lot uh, in addition to looking, you know, different to how we're used to. I mean, there's many things that are different about him, but he's um, he's a lot more slender. Like he, he's kind of like yeah. thinner and um, he's very
1: very thin, Zhang.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, it's very much happy families. We have Jean and his, uh, I guess, his partner, his wife, and their child. And he's basically saying, um, "Hey, look, you know, if there's evidence of his life on other planets, that's wonderful. But I don't really care as long as it doesn't interfere with my, essentially, my wonderful life here with you." Ah, oh, isn't that nice? Nothing bad's going to happen. No, it's it's going to be fine. Um, okay, so I think we've been we've been visiting like some of our familiar faces here, but. Suddenly we cut to a very,
1: like, unfamiliar place, I guess. Uh like a military facility now, somewhere. I love how this is done, because you've got these two soldiers having a conversation, uh, while a figure walks between them that they clearly can't see. And what what it looks to me like has been done here is and I think this is a Derek Robertson page, um, mm. he has drawn this figure as you normally would, drawn with all the detail of the, the face and everything, but then, after the fact, has pixelated him.
0: It's a very nice effect, actually. Yeah, and I again, like it.
1: We could, this is probably,
0: given the era, this would be the start of, um, you know, digital trickery kind of coming into comics and, and increased technological capacities. But, yeah, we have this blurred, suited, kind of purple-haired figure kind of just walking right past these two bored soldiers who are talking about the fact that they don't even see another human being on a regular day, and he walks right through the door Which is closed Which is closed, (laughs) sorry, yes, no, that doesn't sound as impressive unless we we stress that he's walking through a solid uh, object Um, and walks into a chamber where a caped figure is in a weird technological kind of Throne, shall we say, for lack of a better word So
1: there are wires that seem to be leading Into this figure's head And more larger wires coming off the chair A big tube of liquid That is uh, feeding into the top of the throne And other tubes and pipes All coming off it in various places It's a big old sci-fi contraption And he says um,
0: Good morning, Doctor Still at work, I note Metahumans are blooming By the thousands There we go uh, so tell me, what do you have to say for yourself today? And the, the kind of blurring, pixelated effect has now gone away, uh, and we see that he is, I guess as we kind of guessed, a suited individual with
1: purple hair. And I think this might just be the uh, the lighting, but red eyes. Yes, and again, um just have no
0: idea. There's no introduction, really. I have no idea who the hell this, this guy is. Um but I guess the doctor he is referring to, and I'm dipping into my DC knowledge here, has a skull mask,
1: which makes me suspect this might be Dr. Destiny. Uh, now, yeah, again, if you're familiar with Sandman, uh, he's he's done other DC stuff. He was in other DC stuff before Sandman, but I think Sandman is one of his more notable 90s appearances. Um, a very famous issue where he takes control of all the people in a diner and it just gets fucked up. Oh, it's pretty Actually, horrific. I think that's yeah. our first swear on the podcast. I do apologize. Oh,
0: PJ, now this is no longer for children. <laughs> this is, this is now only for people who are of a reading age 23 years ago. You, you could bleep it. It's fine. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Yeah, but will I though? I it's don't know. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, and oddly enough, I was—I found myself thinking about that story the other day. There must have been—I guess my subconscious must have been bubbling up. Um, but again, we transition from this uh, skull-masked figure in the chair screaming "Help me" to uh, the drawing board again, and suddenly we're back in a comic which Kyle is drawing—a comic which
1: features Doctor Destiny,
0: which apparently Kyle is struggling with like he is really finding it hard to tell the story and he's basically asking why would anyone pay two bucks for 32 pages of free association
1: <laughs> but what i love though going back to the first panel on this page of dr destiny is how they've left the blue lines that comic artists are using the blue pencil that doesn't come up when you scan it in uh, but yes. they, they've left it in for that panel or added it i don't know um just it's just a lovely just a little technical moment that that gives you an appreciation of what an artist or a penciler and an inker do on on a book
0: yeah and and again this is also you know i talk about a weird time capsule but i wonder if the the page count and the price that kyle is referring to is indicative of the actual story we're reading um I must admit, I haven't yet counted the number of pages, but is this a 32-page comic?
1: I haven't either. I have page numbers on on them, but because uh, of the intro and all the opening pages, like the fourth page of the story or the third page is page 11 in my book, so I, don't, I haven't actually worked it out myself either.
0: Um, but yeah, but I mean, and we do wonder why the comic industry has gotten into trouble time and time again if... It costs two... If you could buy this for two bucks, (laughs) like 32 pages on a monthly comic is a punishing... (laughs) That is a punishing amount of pages for an artist. Well, presumably Um, that's why this book has two artists on each issue. That would probably make sense, wouldn't it? Um, But yeah, um, Kyle, he's finding it hard. He's sipping coffee, struggling with the story, and his editor is calling again. And he's basically saying... I need pages. I'm so, I, I need pages, Kyle. You're killing me. You're killing me. My publisher's going to fire me if we don't deliver this comic.
1: And, uh, and... yeah, Kyle gets... He gets, gets, gets himself a bit worked up here. Uh, he, he starts making up excuses in his head, but then he just throws his coffee across the room and says, how can I compete with guys that good as the crumpled coffee cup lands on a Flash and a Wonder Woman book? Now, do you, is that, do you suppose, is that referencing a particular cover of a Flash comic? I think it is. Uh, I'm pretty sure it looks a lot like, to me, um, it would be, I think, a Mike Waringo Flash cover. Mm. Um, it looks very much like they've, they've, they've taken that, that image and redrawn it. Yeah.
0: But again, if there was ever any doubt, clearly in this universe, in the universe of this story, DC Comics exist. So there is uh, in case you're in any doubt, there is clearly not a flash in this universe, but there is a flash comic about the flash, if that makes sense. and Wonder Woman and indeed Green Lantern, because we we transition again, and suddenly we have a picture of Green Lantern, uh say uh you know re, uh, speaking out loud the the Green Lantern oath. but it does look like Kyle kind of, yeah, does it not? Yeah, but wearing the traditional Green Lantern costume, not his own awesome one.
1: It's Kyle in Hal Jordan's uniform.
0: Yeah, and we're now in a classroom and we have uh, an orange-haired teacher who we can perhaps assume is Wally West because he has WW emblazoned on his jumper. Could be anyone. I mean, it could be anyone. Now... Do you suppose they put that in because they genuinely were wondering if people would know who this is? I think maybe, yeah.
1: Yeah, because we don't... You've you got to you, cater to not everyone being as up to speed as you are as you're writing it sometimes. Well, and also,
0: you don't have that character. Because again, in the Wonder Woman scene, oh, spoilers, in the Wonder Woman scene, uh, characters repeatedly refer to her as Ms. Prince. Yep. Uh, but in this scene, we don't have that character going Mr. West. No. To kind of drive it home. Now, PJ, I may need to ask you here. In
1: Flash's Independence series, was he ever a teacher? Not that I'm aware of. Um, okay. So- I might be wrong. I haven't read all of it. I'll tell you what I have read. The first issues of, of the book, When Wally Was Flash, in which he wins the lottery genuinely really? wins the lottery and is then rich enough to just and reveals his identity to the world and everyone knows wally west is the flash and he just lives that way seriously yep
0: wow i, I didn't know that i was actually about to ask how wally even made money but there we go um but yeah so um we're in his class and he is teaching and one of his layabout students uh, is reading a comic when he should be uh studying and Wally's like, "Hey, you know that's not a real book. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you know, they're trash comics. What are you doing?" Uh, which, of course, we've all we've all experienced. And um, yeah, and then Kyle uh, and Wally goes like, "Well, no, I've I've never read comics. My parents hated them, and I've certainly
1: never heard of somebody called Green Lantern." Question mark. And then it flashes back to his dream. Hull breach lets up level five, but suddenly it's all in green light.
0: Hmm. What the hell would that mean? Um, but yeah, but then another quick transition from one bizarre scene to another. Uh, we are suddenly on the streets of Metropolis where
1: all, uh, all hell is breaking loose. Yeah, you've got a whole bunch of superhumans and this is where the sort of Kingdom Come element comes in because they're just having a brawl. Mm. These superpowered people with no sense of responsibility and they just start tearing the place up.
0: It is interesting. You mentioned Kingdom Come. I get you're right. It hadn't maybe it like been at the back of my head, but yeah, this is a very similar scene to what we see in Kingdom Come, where like the young, irresponsible heroes, I guess, lacking any kind of cause to fight for, are just battling. Yeah, you know, just causing massive collateral damage. Yeah,
1: it is interesting.
0: And basically, Clark is on the ground trying to report on it.
1: Yeah, and he talks about how gangs of genetic sparkers have taken to the streets, fighting against each other for territory, pride, or worse, for the sheer exultation that using their powers brings. And he's talking
0: into a dictaphone, and so he's kind of like recording live, which is both very admirable and insanely dangerous. Yeah. Um, because he is almost blasted by an errant uh, kind of bolt of energy. And we see a, uh, a helicopter... Uh, From the Special Crimes Unit, uh, following a flying lady who's kind of like glowing with energy.
1: Uh, Yep, Detective Turpin, who's a Superman supporting character in the helicopter. And he doesn't do very well because she
0: blasts his helicopter and it smashes through the Daily Planet
1: globe. Yeah, which Clark sees... And he says, through the Daily Planet's rooftop symbol, this reporter has never experienced anything like... And then you get this lovely little... It starts closing up on three panels where it gets closer and closer on Clark's face. And in the third one, you see the Daily Planet globe explosion reflected in his glasses and then a sudden flashback of his rocket firing away from Krypton as it explodes.
0: Yeah, and... I've got to say, like, the little transition here is, is very nice because it suddenly gets weirdly mythic and quiet. And Clark is having this kind of revelation. You can imagine
1: if this was like a it done in a film or something, that all the noise would stop. The moment would be silent for that.
0: And Clark, in this moment of kind of perfect clarity, looks around and sees all this chaos and he, he realizes that the reason he's angry is not because there's not, he's not angry because he can't stop this. He's angry because there's things he can control and he hasn't done anything about it. And he takes a running dive and rugby tackles or American football tackles, because, you know, we are in, we are in Metropolis, uh, to bystanders to safety as a ton of bricks and masonry and girders kind of fall towards them.
1: He he it specifically says on the page he awakens. He so we Superman's back. And with a selfless act saves two people
0: and then just and, leaves. And then just leaves because while and then the two people he saved are trying to dig him out, thinking like, Oh you know that poor man, he got buried, but there's no sign of him. And we just see a black silhouette of a man kind of flying up into the sky.
1: As Metropolis seems to just be on fire around him hmm, this is going well.
0: Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so again, another scene change and suddenly we are back in Gotham and there's talk on the police. We're, we're seeing a police report uh, which is covering the destruction of the fighting in Metropolis and uh, the helicopter crash. And they're saying that crime in Gotham is relatively low because of a, of a mysterious crime fighter known... As the vigil. Which, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, could could mean anything. Uh oh, and also, surprisingly, uh Bruce is watching the news and he is uh too suddenly shocked to at the arrival of two people
1: that he was not expecting to see. His mum and dad. Thomas Thomas and Martha Wayne just walk in. And uh, yes, Thomas Wayne just seems to start mocking Bruce for trying to make the world a better place straight away. First thing he does as he walks in, you get the feeling that there's some tension, which is weird because I guess in pretty much every interpretation of
0: the, the Wayne seniors, um, I they he always kind of, the, the Wayne's always came across as nice people. Like this is very uh, against their kind of characterization up until now yeah um the bruce's parents do not seem at all concerned by his philanthropy or actually trying to help people in any way
1: yeah it's very much it's it's a bit it makes you wonder if everything you see previously of the waynes is through bruce's eyes or maybe they weren't the paragons he makes them out to be yes no, that was a good point actually
0: because again you know, we we kind of think of them as the the selfless billionaires, but that is, again, they might just also enjoy being rich, uh, which apparently they are doing here because they basically spend all their time travelling the world. Gotham, uh, Bruce says he hasn't actually seen them in years. Um, and he actually seems a little confused about all this, like he's a bit disorientated, like he's not quite able
1: to make sense of what's happening. And, yeah... Yeah, his 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 voice, the way his speech bubbles are written, it seems like his voice is supposed to be quite stilted. Here, there are there are gaps. He's he's not he's not fully buying into it, mm. and
0: it doesn't help that his parents are overly dismissive of his charity work and trying to help people. It's like the the Wayne Foundation or the Wayne Corporation. They don't really care about. They just want to make sure they have enough money for enjoying presumably their retirement, but Bruce is determined to actually do some good with it and actually
1: try and help people but they're they're here to try and and get Bruce to start traveling with them. Bruce says no, Gotham's my home the foundation is here at which point Martha Wayne reveals uh and you've done a marvelous job of running the place your father owned created it as a tax shelter <laughs> which is nice yeah um. But again, they are
0: overly dismissive of what Bruce is trying to do. And his mom isn't really paying him a lot of attention. She's just kind of like browsing the room. And in particular, she's looking at a ghastly little statue of a bat, which is really gothic and really just ruining the mood of the room. And yeah, as she leans in close, her pearl necklace... (laughs) accidentally gets looped around
1: one of the wings of the bat i actually really love this moment it it feels very silly but it also just works so well
0: yeah and again
1: the loaded dialogue where bruce is saying like look you shouldn't be here
0: i mean no wait that's not what i meant i mean like just with everything that's happening and all and she says you know oh we couldn't agree with you in fact your father and i are simply dying dying to take you away <laughs> and then her pearl necklace snaps And we get the Batman moment, basically. Just the moment. You all know it. Uh, The bolts of lightning, uh, the pearls kind of raining down. And suddenly Bruce is back in that alley. And he's seeing his parents being gunned down in front of him. When he's out of that moment, the
1: look he gives his parents is just pure... (laughs) He, he's he's back. Batman is back and now he's like what the hell is going on? Why? Yeah, basically a, a weird like,
0: yeah, a, a weird kind of like terror and like a kind of cornered animal kind of look. Like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> this is not right. And then he just says, I have to go. And there's a great big crack of lightning as we segue to three super-powered, well, thugs, for lack of a better word, yeah. um, breaking onto the premises by climbing over a fence. And they're basically like, well, you know, the Wayans are super-rich. We're going to go rob them, basically.
1: And One of them does say, uh, we- we've been in this neighbourhood all night. We've got enough money. And then another one says, with great power comes great opportunity. Clearly a fan of Spider-Man. I do enjoy
0: riffs on that. I do enjoy riffs. A lot of hidden uh, Spider-Man-y kind of references in in this issue. Um, But we have, um, at the same time, Bruce is um, basically pouring at a uh, a grandfather clock, um, desperately trying to find the door which is hidden behind it. Only there isn't a door hidden behind it. It's just a blank wall. And Alfred's very confused. Alfred has no idea what is going on. And Bruce, the detective, starts to think as he's kind of regaining his wits. And he basically says, this can't be right. And he's pondering. And I love a good Batman pondering pose where he's just kind of stroking his chin. He says, if I remember it, then why can't I see it? What am I missing? And then he just turns. And who should be floating there with his luxurious mane of hair? (laughs) But Superman, who says, someone who believes in you or question mark someone who believes in you
1: is, is, that, that, mark? is that is that what you're missing i don't know you're the detective i don't know
0: <laughs> and um bruce instantly knows who he is and says clark and he just tells him to wake up and open your eyes and when bruce turns around the door to the cave is there
1: and the page ends with a lovely panel of bruce wayne
0: smiling very reminiscent of Bruce Wayne lighting a match and beating the crap out of a bunch of white Martians. Like we, we need more appreciation for the
1: moments when Batman smiles. Oh yes.
0: Because those are the terrifying moments where something amazing is about to
1: happen. Uh so then uh, we go to the next page and Alfred still doesn't know what's happening. He says, uh, this is I this isn't funny. That I feel like I'm not in on this joke. And Superman just says, no, we'll we'll you'll be on it soon, okay? We'll deal with this.
0: And again, possibly the second greatest sound effect, as the wall explodes, Superman is hit by an energy bolt, and we get the sound effect of Fragaboom. Fragaboom, (laughs) PJs. Somebody was having fun.
1: Clearly. Oh, I'd love a good sound effect.
0: Um, But yeah, uh, and so Superman is being attacked by these superhuman thugs. And there is a flying energy lady wearing a sweet 90s jacket, which um, we can all agree is a very good look. (laughs) And uh, yeah, Superman just um, doesn't have time for this crap and uses his uh, heat vision to burst a sprinkler system pipe to spray her down with water.
1: Yep, which does the trick. She's out, she's down. Two more then attack and he deals with them pretty quickly too. There seems to be a a stretchy one and a spiky one and he just Quickly wraps the stretchy one around the spiky one. And uh, they say, we're not scared of you. And he says, it's not me you should be afraid of. As he knocks them unconscious, so. And I'm guessing uh,
0: using maybe only a hundredth of his strength? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think he knows when to pull his punches because he would probably obliterate their spines and punch the planet out of orbit if he actually
1: it's it's weird the way the panel's drawn it doesn't look like he's putting any effort into the punch there's clearly motion but it doesn't look like there's any speed
0: no maybe he just kind of like just rested his fist like on them which is enough to incapacitate the average uh, superhuman Um, and yeah and again Clark is um, sorry Superman is not especially perturbed but he does wonder Bruce where are you As We we get that wonderful
1: comic artist moment where someone who's invisible but we can see their outline because comics is sneaking up on him. And then he gets a batarang to the back of the head.
0: He gets very gently bataranged in the back of the head with a puwok sound effect. Actually, the sound effects in in this story are incredible. I should have paid more attention to them. Um, Yeah, as he gets uh, uh, knocked out by, well... Uh, PJ
1: would you like to uh, describe what's happening the battery hits him he goes down and I I just love this Superman is nice shot I knew he was coming though super hearing and Batman says so did I I spotted his footsteps in the grass deductive reasoning to which Superman (laughs) says so everything's back to normal which one he and Batman are back that's great but also just in terms of their relationship to each other the banter with each other yep okay we're here we're fine now and uh, Batman is basically like uh,
0: always the optimist. I look at the world with a little more doubt, Superman. And,
1: and you get a Batman pose. And this is the first appearance of Batman in costume in the comic, just posing by a gargoyle. Like you do. And then the two of
0: them basically regroup. And, you know, if we, and they, they basically instantly get to business. And they're like, okay, um, well, look, we've got our wits back. If we're going to break the rest of the planet out of this weird daze. We're going to need some more firepower. And then Batman's like, uh, do we have to? Can't it just be us? We can handle it. And Superman's like, yeah, we are very badly outnumbered. And as they look out over... Well, I guess, I guess it, it would be Gotham, wouldn't it, yeah. rather than Metropolis? Because, again, it's only, only in certain continuities where they say that gotham and metropolis are very very near to each other well
1: it's only in a terrible film
0: okay uh but yes but uh looking out over the city of gotham we see fires explosions in the sky and superman says like it or not batman if we're gonna take on the entire world we're gonna need
1: some help can i also just quickly draw attention to before that you have superman saying look up in the sky oh <laughs> god damn it you're right pj sorry i
0: buried lead.
1: uh yes look up in the sky which and there we go there we go beautiful
0: so yeah wow okay i i had kind of i'm glad we decided to break up uh and make Summer's, uh, nightmare because even though i read it in preparation i kind of hadn't quite appreciated how long this chapter was i think it qu- is as you say it is a it is a it's a bonus length
1: one. All, all three issues, I think, are, are the same length. I thought this this was released as a, a an important series, the return of the the, the Justice League. Mm. Um, and well, yeah, I guess the question then, PJ, is, what do you think? I really enjoyed it. It packs Ooh. a lot into the issue. There's a lot of scene transitions and cuts and setup. And by the end, you've only really got Superman and Batman. The rest rest of the league are still living their uh their normal human lives
0: i guess yeah i guess it kind of makes sense to start with the big two you know i guess it would have to be like um you know the world's finest um yeah it's an interesting one it's very strange for me to revisit this period um kind of you know around a series which i love so much which has obviously meant so much to me and then to read like this kind of missing channel uh missing chapter so for me it's kind of like everything's the same but everything's different at the same time if that if that makes sense like it's it's very weird to see these characters at this point in time but for me not to have grant morrison's voice yeah kind of coming out of their mouths if that makes sense
1: yeah, I think it uh, for me it, it helps that you know, I, I like Fabian Nechisa as a writer. I think he is great, but I think it really helps me that that Mark Wade is is one of the voices in on this because he gets these characters as well. He he knows them uh, inside mm. and out, and I think that does help make the story work for me.
0: It's interesting. There are I think reading it through the second time, I think I appreciated it a bit more. But it's it is a very well structured mm. comic. And I, I wonder how much that is Mark Wade, because again, he is a very good like, again, he, there's a there's a cleanliness to his scripts. Like, they are very uh, effective at getting across the story they're trying to tell. So, you get and there is a bit of flair as well, because we do get those very interesting transitions the a comic into a dream back to a comic kind of like the classic um Oh, you know, the setup up and payoff where, you know, you finish one scene on a leading phrase and then carry it over into the next one. I mean, that's like Comics 101 yeah. uh, for a good, a good transition. Um, at the same time, it didn't... For me, it didn't quite have the punch I was maybe hoping for in a weird way.
1: It's a very low-key first issue it's midsummer's nightmare is is three issues and it very much follows the three-act structure in terms Mm. of the whole story so issue one is mostly set up but then ending on that cool moment that makes you want to read what's happening next because superman and batman are back um but it 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 builds as a series Mm. it builds um so issue, but issue one does feel when you read it separately, and this is the first time I've I've read issue one without going on to read the rest of it in one sitting. Mm. Um, but issue one very much is is the slow build, the setup, with not not a lot else to go on in I, there.
0: I guess actually, 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 I would say full credit to them for committing to the bit, mm. because if you're going to do the Alternate universe, um you, you know, because cause again it's something we've seen a lot. Like the idea that you know everybody wakes up but everything's different, but nobody seems to be aware of it. That that's become a bit of a a trope. I, I've seen it several times. In fact, I think we even see it again in the pages of um uh, American Dreams, uh volume two of JLA. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the idea that if you are a superhero. You're probably going to have at least three instances in your career where reality is altered. Like that—that that is just going to happen. At least, at least. I mean, charitably, only three. So I think full credit to them for knowing they were going to do a three-issue uh, kind of uh, a three-issue miniseries, and to not throw that idea away so quickly. Like actually, to do one issue, which is almost exclusively the new mundane reality
1: where our heroes aren't heroes so they, they properly went for it yeah and with what follows and what comes next in, in specifically in midsummer's nightmare it, it leans into it it works really well and you'll have some nice moments that tie back to this first issue it's not all just suddenly forgotten and and done and dusted it's um it's it's hard for me to talk about without ruining what's going to happen. For no, you. no, I, and I, I admire your restraint. I,
0: I would say as a, as a neophyte, as someone completely new to it, I found I really liked Kyle's scenes. I thought they were lovely, and I, and I think the creative team were clearly having fun with Kyle. Yes, because it, it's a thing where you know I got was, always got the impression that Morrison liked writing Kyle, and he was very much our the audience surrogate in JLA, as, as you as you kind of commented on earlier. He's the, he's the everyman character. And I think they're clearly doing the same thing here. So there's clearly something very appealing about him as a character to the creators, I guess, if only because he allows them to cast the, the uninitiated eye over things. So I really like those scenes. They're clearly having fun. Um, I found a couple of the individual character moments a bit underwhelming. Like I found um, maybe Wonder Woman, like I guess it's maybe just one of the problems with Wonder Woman where she is kind of flawless. Like yeah. she is kind of just perfect and, and wise and, and measured. So it's very hard to fi- be critical of her because she generally always does the right thing in any scenario. So again, she's she is wonderful, frankly, in her scene. Like she does all the right things. She does the heroic things. But maybe that scene is also maybe a little boring to me
1: because of it, in a weird way. I know what you mean, but I, f- I feel like maybe that's why we only get the one Wonder Woman scene in the issue. Yeah. It's, it's like, look, she just is Wonder Woman. She doesn't have a secret identity like the others. She just is who she is in all realms mm. of life, and that's we'll, we'll just deal with that. That's fine. So they just stick her in the one scene where they say, look, she's Wonder Woman. Fine, move on. I, I would say that the
0: Flash flashback um or the the scene where flash is having a weird dream that that looks great yeah like i was going to say like the the weird there's something kind of like magical about it the like, like the fact that it is a dream that it isn't quite real and the way it's illustrated which i think these two pages are Derek robertson i think so do you
1: know what i think a big part of what i think there's something about the way he
0: draws the panel shapes human they're beings in that last panel where i do think this is his no there, yeah, there's, a, there's a jankiness to them which i kind of love
1: yeah and then the rest of the book in in the the quote unquote real world is is all straight lines normal panel composition but this is is very rough and unreal
0: mm. and that oh yeah and that panel of the dream Flash kind of racing towards us, but he's very abstract and uh, simplistic. Like, I I really like that. That is a yeah. hell of a panel and a hell of a page. Um, it really captures the... And again, there's something where, even though this script didn't 100% kind of set my world on fire, there is something in that scene that did kind of get me where Flash is running and he's saying, like, there should be more of us, there should be others. Like, I think that does tie into the beautiful kind of desperation and mysticism of the JLA, where they really are the best of the best, these champions. You know, the idea that even in this weird dream flashes like, where are these other incredible people that I know? Like, I do like that. That was just a very small but lovely little thing that did speak to me.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's that that's probably one of my favorite moments in that issue. That and. Basically, all of the Superman stuff when Clark becomes Superman again, and then his just instant dismissal of the uh the superhumans who are trying <laughs> to rob Wayne Manor is just beautiful
0: and I have to say like for me i I think um the the Clark Bruce relationship as captured in the main series of jla is 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 wonderful as as we have discussed in great detail so far and we'll continue to discuss yes and i think their little interaction it, it it comes very close to 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 that level of perfection here um but that is again where the series kind of the uh, where the story kind of comes alive again like when mm-hmm. uh the two of them are together and that page where superman appears behind bruce and that that again is lovely and that does kind of you know touch upon the wonder of of of
1: their relationship and how they work together yeah and it's that moment of bruce needs something to believe in something to believe in him and what else is it going to be he turns around and there's just this majestic figure of superman <laughs> hovering in the air behind him it, and
0: it with that amazing hair
1: yeah just flowing in the wind inside god that hair <laughs> i mean and it it
0: and again i do kind of like how when, when Superman and Batman both kind of come to their senses, neither of them has the scene where they start screaming or trying to work out what the hell has happened. Yeah, Because that is irrelevant. They are professionals. <laughs> Again, this is entirely about being a professional, this series. And they're like, oh, this is the 10th time that someone has rewritten reality on me. Damn it! Okay, back back to business. Like just right into it. I love that.
1: It's brilliant. It really is. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, to going through the next two issues with you on this one and seeing uh, seeing your take on those. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I guess like for you at least, going just
0: going back to it now, has anything kind of like changed for you? Like because again, you you said you've had you've had a copy of this for quite some time.
1: Yeah, I um. As I say, that's, this is the first time I've just read issue one as issue one, rather than just reading the whole book. Um, mm. And do you know what? I think I enjoyed it more than I remembered. Mm. I, 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 There was a lot more in there that I really liked that I was like, actually, do you know what? That's really cool. And um, knowing where the story goes as a first issue and a setup, yeah, it does its job really well, I think.
0: It's going to sound stupid, but I think because I have been reading it, uh, I am reading it by chapter or, or issue, which was is just something because I've never never really done before in owning a trade paperback. I normally I normally just kind of devour it. Really stupidly, I kind of forgotten that there would be a part two. I know, <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but I'm kind of like I'm actually quite excited because I'm like, oh great, now I get to go read the next instalment, and clearly things are about to kick off. Like things, you know. Yeah, actually, kudos. Yeah, I, I, I kind of reinforced my earlier statement. Kudos to them for taking the time to actually set up the scenario. Yeah, before it's going to get undone.
1: Always exciting. It is exciting. Well, I mean, PJ, what do you think? Have we have we exhausted this avenue of pleasure? I think, without me spoiling uh, issues two and three for everyone, yes, yes, we have.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> well, um, well, in which case, uh, we should say that. I guess we are very much hoping you're enjoying the series so far, because we are now very much live and out in the world.
1: Yes, as we record this, our first episodes should be hitting your eardrums.
0: Yes, and we, we hope you are uh, deep, deep in the pits of nostalgia. Um, PJ, if people are, you know, like the sound of your voice, or they like, they like
1: what you've got to say, um, where can they find you? Where should they track down your work? Uh I am on Twitter at PJ Montgomery. Um you can find me on Instagram at PJM underscore eighty two. Um those are really the best places to keep up with me. Nice. And I, I guess uh the same goes for me. You can find me on Twitter
0: at uh, John lot Comics. Uh and myself and PJ's links are um are in the description. Um I guess we should say a, a massive uh, massive thank you to our two silent partners
1: here. Uh thank you to Gav Mitchell for doing the cover artwork. Uh, And thank you to Elliot Red for composing and creating our theme tune, Justice.
0: And thank you for listening. Um, PJ, uh, you are the king of
1: the sign-off line. Where do we go from here? Um, Issue two? I didn't have one today, I'm sorry.